0: Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in five different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. as I was praying about what to share with you today I felt like the Lord just specifically laid this on my heart and so I want to I want to bring this to you and this is in part how not to get through the rest of your life but how to get through the next few weeks how to get through the next few weeks with great victory, seeing miracles in your own life, in your own heart, as well as in your family and in your friends. And I just believe that God has everything you need for life and godliness. That's what his word says. He's not left you short on anything. If he did not withhold his only son, but freely offered him up for us, why in the world would he hold back? What you need, if you need some forgiveness, some peace, some cope, some hope, whatever it is you need, He has more than enough and it's available to everyone who will ask. The great tragedy that I believe that we will be aware of when we step into eternity is not unanswered prayer, but when we see unoffered prayer, we have not. Because we ask not. And when I look in the scripture and I see people who said, Lord, give me success. I, that's a great prayer. That is a great prayer. No matter what you're facing, God, give me success. And I, I believe that God wants to give you success. So I, I want to start today by i talking to you a little bit about a gentleman who was a great, great inspiration to me. His name is Cliff Young. And, and really, when people talk about Cliff Young, they talk about the legend of Cliff Young. How many of you are familiar with marathon uh, race runners, people who run marathons? You're familiar with that? How many of you know how, how long that is, how, how many miles a marathon is? Anybody know? 26.2 miles. 26.2 miles. Miles. How many of you are glad you don't have to run to Target in Lafayette every time you want to go to Target? (laughs) Boy, I am. I'll tell you. I am for sure. But I want to tell you about this man, Cliff Young. Uh, Finishing times for marathon runners range from a little over two hours for world-class elite marathoners to eight hours or more for people who just walk the marathon. In the United States, the average finishing time for marathons in 2009 was four hours and 35 minutes. According to marathonguide.com, the average marathon finishing time for men in the United States was four hours and 24 minutes and the average finishing time for women was just a little bit longer four hours and 52 minutes now i want to i want to share this story with you about cliff young and i don't want you to look it up on your phone right now but it would be okay if you want to remember this just to send yourself a text with his name cliff young and send yourself a text so you remember you need to look this guy up on youtube you need to look him and google him and you will be amazed you will be astounded my prayer is that you will be encouraged my prayer is that it will give you hope and that it will help light a fire under you to persevere in the things of god and in whatever challenges there may be for you australia they they do not do it any longer, but Australia used to host a five hundred and forty-four mile ultra marathon from Sydney to Melbourne. Five hundred and forty four mile marathon. Now those of you who are familiar with South Texas, the Rio Grande Valley, from, from Lafayette, Louisiana. To harlingen texas in the rio grande valley is 544 miles and a little bit like 0.8 or 0.9 uh, 544 miles and they would host this every year it was considered to be one of the world's longest and toughest ultra marathons it's a long tough race and it usually takes a week and normally participated in by world-class athletes who train especially for the event. Backed by big names in sports like Nike, these athletes are mostly less than 30 years old men and women who are equipped with the most expensive sponsored training outfits and shoes. In 1983, these top-class runners were in for a surprise. On the day of the race, a guy named Cliff Young showed up. At first, no one cared about him since everybody thought he was there just to watch the event. After all, he was 61 years old. He showed up in overalls and in rubber work boots. For those of you who don't know what that, Delcom Reeboks, Okay. (laughs) as cliff walked up to the table to take his number it became obvious to everyone that he was going to run he was going to join a group of world-class athletes and run and during that time these runners didn't even know uh another surprising fact and that was that his only trainer was his 81 year old mother everybody thought it was a crazy publicity stunt but the press was curious so as he took his number number 64 and moved into the pack of runners in their special expensive racing outfits the cameras focused on him and reporters started to ask who are you and what are you doing and he says i'm cliff young And i'm from a large ranch where we run sheep outside of melbourne and they said you're really going to run in this race yeah cliff responded got any backers no don't have any backers well then you can't run yes i can run cliff said you see i grew up on a farm where we couldn't afford horses or even four-wheel drive uh vehicles and the whole time i was growing up whenever storms would roll in on us i would have to go out and round up the sheep we had 2000 head of sheep and we had 2000 acres and sometimes i would have to run those sheep for 2 or 3 days it took a long time but i'd catch them and i believe i can run this race it's only two more days than what i'm used to running 3 days at a time and this race is about 5 days so uh it shouldn't be a problem when the marathon started the pros left cliff behind in his rubber boots the crowd smiled because he didn't even run correctly instead of running he appeared to run in a very leisurely manner shuffling along like an amateur now the 61 year old potato farmer from beach forest with false teeth had started the ultra tough race with world-class athletes and because his false False teeth rattled when he ran. He took them out. And all over Australia, people who watched the live telecast kept on praying that someone would stop this crazy old man from running because everyone believed he'll die before even getting halfway through the race. Every professional athlete knew for certain that it took six or seven days to finish this race And that in order to compete you would need to run at least 18 hours a day and then sleep for six uh, six hours the thing is Cliff Young didn't know that that's how you were supposed to run the race when the morning news of the race was aired people were in for another big surprise Cliff was still in the race and had jogged all day and all night down to a city called Mittagong apparently cliff did not stop after the first day and although he was still far behind the world-class athletes he kept on running he even had the time to wave at the spectators who watched the event by the highways when he got to a town called albury he was asked about his tactics for the rest of the race and he said well i'm just gonna run and i'm just gonna keep on running i'm gonna run through to the finish and he did he kept running every night he got just a little bit closer to the leading pack now when he ran he ran all day and then he ran all night he, he never stopped to sleep by the last night he passed all of the world-class athletes and by the last day he was way in front of them not only did he run the Melbourne to Sydney race at age 61 without dying he won first place Breaking. Yeah, go ahead. Breaking. The race record by nine hours and became a national hero. The nation fell in love with the 61 year old potato farmer who came out of nowhere to defeat the world's best long distance runners. He finished the 544 mile race in five days, 15 hours, and four minutes. Not knowing that he was supposed to sleep during the race, he said when running through the race, he imagined that he was chasing sheep and trying to outrun a storm when Cliff was awarded the first prize of $10,000 he said he didn't even know there was a prize and insisted that he had not entered because of the money he said there's five other runners behind me that are having a tougher time of it than I did and so he divided that $10,000 and gave each of those five $2,000 didn't keep a penny for himself that act endeared him to all of australia cliff was a humble average man who undertook an extraordinary feat and became a national sensation in the following year cliff young entered the same race this time he came in seventh place during the race his hip popped out a joint his knee played up and he endured uh, shin splints, but those didn't deter him from finishing the race. And when he, it was announced that he was uh, the winner uh, of the most courageous runner and presented with a brand new car, he said, uh, it wasn't near as hard for me as it was for old Bob. He's back there still running here, Bob, you can have the car and he threw the keys to him. It is said that Cliff Young never kept a single prize. People would give him watches as winning prizes and he would thank them because he didn't want to hurt their feelings. But then as soon as he walked away, first chance he had, he would give the watch to a a young boy or a young girl. He said he did not understand why he would need a watch because he said he always knew it when it was daylight and he always knew it when it was dark and he always knew when he was hungry. (laughs) Who needs a watch? His love for running never diminished. But in the year 2000, after collapsing in his Gillibrand home, a week after completing 572 miles of a 994 mile race, he lost his strength for running. A mile stroke ended his heroic running days. After a long illness, Cliff Young, the running legend, passed away on November the 2nd, 2003. He was 81. Um, there, there is uh, there is even another uh, another story about Cliff Young, and I don't have all of the details. But he entered another race to run around the perimeter of the nation of Australia. It was over nine thousand miles. He started running, and he had to give up after over 4,000 miles. I don't remember the exact number, but he ran over 4,000 miles and he had to quit because his only support person, the person who drove the car uh, with the food in it and the water in it, not his only support person got too sick to continue on. So he had to drop out. I'm telling you, this is absolutely amazing. And I, I want you to know that the Christian life many times is like running a marathon. It's not like a sprint, It's like running a marathon. I don't care how you started, what's important is how you finish. It's how you finish, that's the important thing. And the Christian life has many, many parallels to running a marathon Hebrews chapter 12 verse 1 the Apostle Paul says therefore since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us in Acts chapter 20 and verse 24 the word says however I consider my life worth nothing to me if only I may finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me the task of testifying to the gospel of god's grace do we have any runners in the house today do we have any people who like to run enjoy run is that you back there trent that's trent that's my buddy i called him talked to him this morning trent is a trent is a marathon runner who uh he's an amazing marathon runner now he's not anything like the kind of runner i used to be i don't run anymore uh on on a good day i walk but uh i I stopped running uh quite some time ago but i used to run between uh three and four miles every day and it was something that once i got started it became very I, i don't know another word for it it's sort of addictive and if any of you have been Uh, runners for any period of time you know what I'm talking about you get to a place where you know you start off with all your strength and energy and and you're just jogging along and and you get to a place where boy you just you start to feel it and you start wondering I I don't know if I'm gonna be able to finish and and you get real tired and and honestly it, it is a huge mental game it, it is mostly, it's mostly up here and you just keep encouraging yourself one foot in front of the other, breathe and you get into a, a rhythm with your breathing and, and, and you just run, you do the best you can. And so I, I found that for me, uh, I would, my hardest time was between a half a mile and three quarters of a mile. And if I could make it that far, I would get a rush of adrenaline, what, what many people call a second wind. And, and that, you know, when that hits you, it's just amazing. Because you can you can just, it's like you're running and it's like you've got all the energy and all the strength and there's no tiredness and, and you can just keep doing that. Years ago, I had a friend who came to church here, Doyle Young, and Doyle was a runner. He'd run marathons and, and every day uh, he would run uh, about the same that I would, but on weekends, he would run much further. He would run at least six miles. Uh, maybe 10 or or a little more. And so one day, he invited me to go run with him and and do a six-mile run. I'd never run that far in my whole life. But I went with him, and we started running and I got, to, you know, that half mile, three quarters of a mile and started getting hard. And I just, you know, in, I just encouraged myself. You just keep going one foot in front of the other. Just keep going. And Doyle was there to encourage me and help me. And, and he was giving me some pointers. Uh, you know, you need to move your arms around because mostly when you run, your arms are kind of in this position. And after a while, they get real tired. And so you want to shake them out while you're running. Maybe put them up here while you're running. Just kind of keep it, keep them moving around. And, and I got past that, that little wall. That I hit and felt pretty good. And I, I knew when I passed about two miles because of the, the where we were running, it was marked out. And then we got to three miles, and mentally I was like, that's it, that's as far as I can go, that's as far as I've ever gone. And Doyle kept encouraging me, you can do it, you can do it. Come on, let's just keep going, just keep breathing, keep your breathing in a pattern. Come on, one foot in front of the other, shake your hands, just wiggle them around. Some we're gonna keep going. And because of his encouragement, I was able to, to keep going, even though it was hard for me at first. Even though my brain was saying you can't do this you can't do this you've never done this before you can't do this i just stayed with my friend he kept encouraging me and that day i ran six miles with nobody chasing me (laughs) that's a miracle i thought you know if nobody's chasing you that's that's really something and and that was a that was a record for me i don't think i ever did that ever again now, there are marathon runners who run the 26.2 miles, but then there are people who run ultra marathons, and that's, that's what my friend Trent does. Trent runs ultra marathons, and, and uh, he has run five races that were 100 miles or more. You just think of that, 100 miles, 100 miles. And I, as I was talking to him, he said, "Now, Pastor Paul, he said, I've only finished, I've only finished three of those. I've only finished all like you know, <laughs> if I if I ran fifty miles, I'd be telling everybody about it, you know. But but he said, but he said the, the others, it was just, it was really difficult. He said one of them, we we're running uh, not on a paved surface, a lot of gravel, a lot of rock, uphill, downhill. It was raining and it was thirty eight degrees. And he said, I was, you know, my shoes were falling off my feet. It was just." It was just too much, and I just, I, I, I could not finish that. And, and that, is, that is just an amazing, an amazing thing to be able to run like that. Many times, runners will talk, and they'll use this terminology that I just used with you. About, they'll talk about hitting the wall. And they run and they get to this place, I just, I don't feel like I can go anymore. They hit a wall and it's only through encouraging themselves and and persevering through that difficulty and just one more step, one more step, one more step, that they can press through that and get a second wind. And there's a rush of endorphins that are released in your body and you just feel, you feel energized and you feel like, man, I can just keep on Going, You get your second win. And God has some amazing promises to everyone who's following after him, to those who are running this race. In Isaiah 40, beginning in verse 29, he gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Now, I want you to notice here who gets strength and who gets power. Is it the people who are good looking? Is it the people who never miss a Sunday? Is it the people who never have any problems or difficulties? No. The prerequisite to receiving strength and power is this. You have to acknowledge I'm weak and I'm weary. And he says to those who are weary and those who are weak, he gives strength and increases power. Even youths grow tired and weary and young men stumble and fall. But those who hope in The Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, I remember reading in the Bible a time when David, we were just reading one of David's Psalms. I remember a time when David hit a wall. David, God had blessed David, God had helped David, He'd, he had come through his encounter with the lion, his encounter with the bear, his encounter with Goliath, his encounter with a, a crazy father-in-law who was trying to kill him, and he ends up living in a in an enemy city, a Philistine city, and at first he had to act like he was insane, he had to act like a man who was out of his mind, so uh, just to protect his life, later on he was able to uh, build a relationship Relationship with that enemy king. And he came to him and that enemy king said, David, we want you and your warriors to join with us and we're going to war against Israel. And David said, fine. He says, we'll, we'll do that. We'll go with you. And when all of the other uh, enemy kings gathered together and saw that David was there, they told, uh, they told the, the, the king that David was serving. They said, you're crazy if you think we're gonna go into battle with David. This is the one that Israel... Israel would sing, Saul is slain his thousands and David is ten thousands. The best way for him to be accepted by Israel again is for us to get out there in the middle of a battle and then he and his men turn on us. Tell him to go home. And so... And so David was commanded by the king, You need to go back. I know you're my friend, and I trust you, but none of these other guys trust you. You need to go back. David and his men lived in a city by the name of Ziglag. And they went back with a lot of complaining, and a lot of murmuring, and a lot of grumbling. And when they got close to the city of Ziglag, they saw smoke. And they hurried up and got there, and they saw that their town had been raided while they were gone. There was not a soul left. The good news was there's no blood on the ground. All their wives are gone, all their sons are gone, all their daughters are gone, and their homes have been burnt. All of their stuff has been stolen away and the men are so grieved. They are so torn up. They begin to wail. They're tearing their garments and they're crying out in grief and in sorrow. And they are imagining the very worst that their wives and their sons and their daughters are now in the hands of their enemies and God knows what's taken place with them right now. They are so upset that these men who have been loyal to David for a period of years even begin to talk about stoning him. And David is David, you can imagine his sorrow because because his family has also disappeared. Let me just turn your attention uh, psalm thirty eight and verse ten. David says, "My heart pounds, my strength fails me, even the light has gone from my eyes. Have you, can you relate to that? Have you ever had a time like that in your life where you just feel like my strength is gone, my heart is failing me, You have hit the wall in first Samuel thirty we read about this occasion at Ziglag, and it says david in verse 6 david was greatly distressed because the men were talking about stoning him david it's because of you it's your crazy ideas that we go over there and fight with the philistines it's it's because we weren't here we were following you that our families were put in a dangerous place and now they've been captured who knows where they are and what's happening to them or if we will ever see them again They're talking about stoning him. Each one was bitter in their spirit because of his sons and daughters. But David found strength in the Lord his God. David found strength. In the Lord his God and I want to tell you when you've done everything that you know to do when you have hit the wall I want you to know God will strengthen you I want you to know that God will not forsake you God will not fail you I want you to know that you can put your hope in the Lord your trust in the Lord and God will do for you exactly what he did for David when you feel like I've hit the wall I can't go anymore God will come through for you as a matter of fact we can go over to the New Testament and read about one of the greatest New Testament Apostles of the Apostle Paul did you know that the Apostle Paul hit the wall he did he hit the wall let me just read it to you from his own words in 2nd Corinthians chapter 11 he said five times I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from the Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled. I have often gone without sleep. I have no own hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all of the churches. And if you thought that was all, let me just turn your attention to chapter one of second Corinthians. He says, I don't want you to be uninformed brothers about the hardships we suffered in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So, that we despaired even of life in our hearts we felt the sentence of death but this happened that we might not rely on ourselves but on God who raises the dead he has delivered us from such a deadly peril he will deliver us and on him we have set our hope that he will continue to deliver us and I love that he covers the past the present and the future and then to top it all off Satan has singled out Paul for special attention in 2 Corinthians 12 Paul says to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing great revelations there was given to me a thorn in my flesh a messenger of Satan to torment me three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me but he said to me my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness my grace is sufficient for you for my power is made perfect in weakness my grace is sufficient sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness, therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulty, for when I am weak, then I am strong. God will not fail you. God will not drop you. He didn't you this far to leave you he didn't lift you up to let you down he didn't teach you how to swim so you could drown he will not fail you he will fill you with his power even Jesus even Jesus the one who was fully God and yet fully man needed the strength and power we read about in Luke 22 he's agonizing in prayer in the garden and he hits this wall father if you are willing please take this cup of suffering from me we think about about Jesus always you know being in complete agreement and alignment with the will of the father And the fact of the matter was that there were times when when I believed that his will wanted to go another direction. He had to he had to submit. He had to submit. The Bible teaches that, that he he learned obedience by submitting to the will of the Father. And here, clearer than any other place, Father, if you are willing, please take this cup of suffering away from me. Yet, I want your will to be done, not mine. And then, then, after he has surrendered to the will of of the Father, then an angel from heaven appeared and strengthened him. Hallelujah. I want you to know that God knows how to get help to you when you need it the most. God knows how to get help to you when you can't get an intercessor on the phone. He knows how to get help to you when your car won't start and you don't have a bicycle to ride to church. God knows how to get help to you when your computer's down and you can't get online to find encouragement from your favorite preachers or or, or prayer boards. God knows how to get help to you. He's got a wireless communication system. The first one ever, it's called prayer. He knows how to break through discouragement and break through problems and break through difficulties in order to touch your heart the disciples those men who lived with Jesus for three years they walked with him they talked with him they participated in some of the miracles that took place they came to a place where they hit a wall they had found the Messiah how exciting is that that after all the years and all the promises and all the prophecies they finally found the Messiah they saw the miracles They saw the multiplication of the bread and fish. They saw him hush the storm on the sea, the wind and the waves silence. They saw him raise the dead back to life, deliver people from demonic spirits. They saw him speak words of life and words that just totally baffled and and befounded the the people who were sent to trick him and trap him uh, with, with verbal arguments. They saw all of that. They looked forward to the kingdom that they felt was going to be established on earth. They looked forward to their part in it. They were already figuring out where they're going to sit. You take the left side, I'll take the right side. It's going to be great. We're going to be rulers. And and then then he was betrayed. Then one of their own sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. and, And then he was arrested. And then there was a trial that wasn't really a trial. It was a kangaroo court. And they paid men to lie, and not uh, they. they, it, It was it was set up from the very beginning, and then he was beaten, beaten so badly that he couldn't even carry his own cross to the hill of Golgotha, and he had to have help. They saw the nails go into his hands and into his feet. They saw the cross lifted up and slammed down in the ground. They heard him. As he hung there on the cross, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They heard his final, his final cry, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then he breathed his last. They watched him die. They hit a wall. They could not go anymore. Their dreams were shattered. Their hopes were destroyed. They did not have a future they They did not know where to go; they did not know what then, and into that void flooded fear in one place we read just shortly after that they are hiding in an upstairs room behind locked doors. Peter went back to his old business, and several of the disciples followed him and here 's where i want here 's where I want to land and this is where i where, I really want to just speak to your heart. Just a couple of weeks ago, Pastor Don started in Acts. And I love that message. And then last week, Pastor Michael uh, stayed with the book of Acts. And here I want, to, I want to bring you to Acts chapter 2. And in verse 1 through 4, just read with me. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting, they had hit a wall They had hit a wall. I don't think I can go anymore. I know I can't go anymore. I'm going back to the business. Let's go fishing. Who wants to come with me? Our our dreams are shattered. Our hopes are destroyed. But then on the day of Pentecost, there was a sound of a rushing mighty wind. Ladies and gentlemen, this is the second wind. This is the second wind that's coming. They're about to get empowered in a way they've never been empowered before God has As a matter of fact, you know, can I just can I just take a minute? Can I just take a minute and share something with you? Uh, this is just maybe a little bit, sort of an aside, but it's a it's a powerful aside. Did you know that the Bible tells us the names of some of the people who were in the upper room? Did you know that Th- there were there was a crowd there, and they're not all named, but there's a group of people who were named. And if you'll just look at Acts chapter one, beginning in verse thirteen and verse fourteen. I just, I want to read it to you. I want you to see this. When they had entered, they went to the upper room where they were staying at Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas and Bartholomew and Matthew. James, the son of Alphaeus and Simon, the zealot and Judas, the son of James. Look at verse 14. All these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer together with the women. And Who? mary the mother of jesus she was there in the upper room would you just look at that verse we just read in acts chapter 2 acts chapter 2 verses 1 through 4 the day of pentecost arrived they were all all of them all these people that were just named and others they were all together in one place suddenly there came a, a, a from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues like fire appeared to them and rested on each of them and they were say that again they were how many all they were all filled with the holy spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the spirit gave them utterance there are people in our community who because it's all they know to do when they pray they pray to Mary I believe there's something better than praying to Mary I believe that instead of praying to Mary you can pray like Mary prayed This word right here says she was there. They were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in tongues. Mary, the mother of Jesus, was in that room filled with the Holy Spirit praying in tongues. She prayed to the Father in the name of Jesus. And if there's anything better than praying to Mary, it's praying like Mary prayed. God has a second wind for you. Look at this, look at this. The devil, the devil has been coming to you and some of you, he's got you, you're already stressed about Christmas. You're already stressed about family. You're already stressed about all the stuff. You're, you're already there. And I just want you to know that that God wants to give you a second wind. God wants to do an amazing thing in you, not just for this Christmas season, this holiday season, but for the rest of your life. God wants to give you a second wind that'll never quit. It'll never run out. It will constantly be renewed and it will strengthen you and empower you in ways you cannot even imagine. And the devil's telling you, no, you can't do that. You can't. You can't. You can't. But the word of God says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's what God's word says. The devil says, you can't. But God's word says, I can. I can do all things. This is the devil says, no, God won't. God won't. He won't help you. You know, God won't. He, he doesn't do that anymore. God won't. But the, look at what Isaiah fifty eight eleven says. The Lord will. He will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. He will strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden like a spring whose waters never fail. Isaiah 40, Verse 31, those who trust in the Lord will find new strength. They will soar high on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not faint. This will help you know when the devil's lying to you. And he says, God won't. You need to turn to these two verses of scripture and read them out loud to the devil. This is what God will. And he says that I will because he will. Help is on the way, Zechariah 10, 12. God says, I will strengthen them in the Lord and in his, na- and in his name they will walk. 2 Second Chronicles, Second Chronicles 16, 9 says that the eyes of the Lord searched to and fro throughout the earth, searching for those whose hearts are completely loyal to him. Completely loyal to him. He will show himself strong on their behalf. He will show himself strong on their behalf. David said in Psalms 18, for by you, I can run through a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. Now I wanna wanna expose expose one more lie of the enemy. I'm gonna close with this. I'm gonna expose this lie. It's found in Revelation chapter 12. And, And if you have a Bible, you need to open it up and be ready to underline this if you have if, if if you have it on your phone you need to be ready to highlight this verse because this is a verse that will absolutely pull the curtain back on the Wizard of Oz and allow you to see the truth about the enemy of your soul who's coming to you and telling you that he's, he's all big and he's all bad and he's all powerful and he's going to throw a monkey wrench in the middle of God's plans for you and for your life and you're not going to be able to conquer you're not going to be able to overcome you can't do it your grandparents parents didn't do it and your parents didn't do it and you're doomed to failure and and he's been fighting against you since the first day you took a breath and he hadn't let up and i just want to expose i want to expose something here says in i'm just going to read two verses the rest of this chapter is amazing revelation 12 verse 7 and 8 war broke out in heaven war broke out in heaven michael one of the archangels michael and his angels fought against the dragon and if you don't know who the dragon is let me tell you that's satan they fought against the dragon and the dragon and his angels fought back read this next verse with me but he was not strong enough that's talking about the devil but he was not strong enough that's what you need to know about him. The reason you are in church today is because he was not strong enough to keep you addicted. He was not strong enough to keep you bitter. He was not strong enough to keep you from a future that God has for you. He was not strong enough then. He's not strong enough now. He won't be strong enough tomorrow. And this is another verse that when the enemy begins to heap condemnation and accusation on you, you grab your Bible, you open it up you say devil here is the unchanging word of God heaven and earth will pass away but God's word will never fail it will never pass away and God's word tells me that you are not strong enough you're not strong enough to discourage me you're not strong enough to defeat me because he that is in me is greater than he that is in the world God has a second wind for you God has a second wind for you I want to ask you to stand with me all over this, all over this room right now. Everyone, please just stand to your feet. Every eye closed, every head bowed. If you are here today and you would say, pastor Paul, I, I want, I want, I, I, I want this. I, I need this second wind, but you know what? There's some people who've been taught uh, when they were growing up. They, maybe they went to a church or other people told you need to stay away from that. Holy spirit stuff. You need to stay away from that. Can I just remind you, ladies and gentlemen, that, that, we serve a triune God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. And when people say, stay away from that Holy Spirit stuff, they're saying, stay away from God. Stay away from God. And sometimes, sometimes people have been told, oh, you know, if you ask for the Holy Spirit, you might get something bad. You might get it. And you know, it's crazy because Jesus addressed that very Fear. And he told told a group of people, he said, you know, if your children come to you and they ask for a sandwich, you won't give them a snake. And if they ask for, you know, a a boiled egg, you're not going to give them a scorpion. And if you, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask? Now, let me tell you the safest prayer you could ever pray. The safest prayer you could ever pray. This is it. Lord, I surrender to you. And I want everything you have for me. I want everything you have for me. Don't hold anything back. I I want everything you have, everything that you're going to use in my life to shape me sand off the rough edges as well as to bless me and comfort me I want it all I want the direction I want the correction I want the inspiration I need the rest I need need it all I want everything you have for me And some of you are facing challenges you know what they are and if you are here today and you would say Pastor Paul I'm in a place right now I need a second wind I need a second wind nobody's looking around this is not a time for people to be looking but you just say I need a second wind would you just lift your hand Just right now, lift your hands. Just hold your hands up. I want to pray for you. I want to pray for you. Heavenly Father, you see each and every hand. You know these people. You know what they're facing and what they're going through. And I pray, Lord, that you would fulfill the promise of your word. that you would open the windows of heaven and that you would pour out a fire that will purge and cleanse and purify and illuminate and empower them beyond anything they've ever known I pray that they would receive a second wind the breath of heaven the breath of God that will restore hope and a future for each and every one of them I pray that you would help them to conquer the things in their own heart and life that have hindered them I pray that you would help us to stand on your word all the things you will do because we will trust in you and thank you for showing us that the devil is not strong enough to keep us from all that you have for us your power to bless is greater than the devil's power to deceive and i thank you lord i pray that this would be the most amazing holiday season that this church and these people have ever lived through in their entire lives fill them fill them with a greater love for you than they've ever known. Fill them with a passion for your word and a determination to be obedient in every area. Give them, uh, Lord, your, your word says that that there's a special place for those, special blessings for those who tremble at your word. Help us to love your word and take it so seriously that we fall into that category, that we tremble at your word. You can You can put your hands down right now. Now, for those of you just... Please remain with your eyes closed and your heads bowed. There may be some here today you've never surrendered your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I want you to know how much God loves you. I want you to know how much he loves you, how much he cares for you. It's not my intention to make anyone feel uh, uncomfortable. I'm not going to invite anyone to the front or anything like that. But if you are here today, I want you to know that the blessing and the power of God is available to you when you feel like you've run out of strength, when you feel like you've run out of cope or hope or whatever. God wants to fill you and empower you so that you can have a hope and a future. God wants to do that. But that happens when we are born into his family. And we are born again with the the Bible term when we do three things. It's as simple as A, B, C. A, I admit my true condition that I'm a sinner and I'm sick of my sin and I'm, I'm in need of a Savior. B, that I believe. I believe that Jesus Christ is who he says he is that he can do what he says he can do. That he can forgive me. And that he can cleanse me. And he'll write my name in the book of life. And then see that I confess. Which means I declare, I say out loud. That I've surrendered my life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ. If you're here today, I want to lead you in a prayer. If you've never given your heart to the Lord, but you'd like to. I can't think of a better, a better way to experience this Christmas. And to really experience the incarnation than experiencing it as a, as a brand new believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're here and you'd like to pray this prayer with me to give your life to the Lord Jesus, would you lift your hand? Just lift it up where you are. I just want to see who I'm praying with. Lift it up. Okay. I see your hand over here. I see another here. Let's just, let's, let's pray together. I want to invite everyone to join with us. Let's pray out loud right now. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the son of God I believe that on the cross you took my sin my shame my guilt and you died for me I believe you rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven a purpose on earth and a relationship with your father and today Lord Jesus I turn from my sin to follow you with all my heart no matter what it may cost me. And I declare that God is my Father, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, the Holy Spirit is my helper, and heaven is my home. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Come on, give God praise right now.